Jesus, we, we yearn for your word. Only you have the words of life. And so to where else can we go? Lord, may you speak your words today. And any of my words that are not yours, may they fall to the ground and blow away. But may your word remain. This we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Good morning to you and to your families. It's good to be with you this morning. Christy and I watched uh, an excellent movie a few years ago called Lion. Has anyone seen that? Raise your hand if you've seen that. Just a few. All right, so what I don't want to do is, is spoil it for you this morning, but I do want to share just a little bit about it. I don't think, uh, I don't think I'll ruin it for you. Lion is based on a true story of a five-year-old Indian boy named Saru, meaning from India, not Native American. Saru grew up in rural India. He was raised by a single mother who worked as a manual laborer during the day. And so during the day, Saru was cared for by his older brother, Gudu. Now sometimes, Saru would go out with his older brother, Gudu, into the town in order to search for coins, to search for odd jobs, all to help his family make ends meet. But one night, as Gudu was going out to look for work, Saru went with him, and they went to the nearby train station, the train station there in their town. And Saru, being really young, five years old, he got tired. And so Gudu left him at the train station in order to sleep while he went to find work. And when Saru woke up, he was afraid. He was by himself. It was still the middle of the night. Gudu wasn't around. And so we went off to try and find Gudu, and he ended up boarding one of the trains that was sitting there looking for Gudu. And soon enough, that train departed, and Gudu wasn't on it. And it ended up carrying Saru 900 miles away, 900 miles away to the city of Calcutta. So we have a five-year-old boy who doesn't know uh, where he's from, the name of his town, he doesn't know where he is, and he's in a city of millions. And if you know anything about Calcutta, it's not a safe city. Saru was eventually taken into an orphanage there in Calcutta. And shortly after that, there was this couple from Australia named John and Sue Brierly who adopted him, brought him back to Australia, and raised him as their son. And then five years later, uh, when Saru was 10, they adopted another boy from India named Macintosh. Mantosh, rather. Well, later in this movie, there's this really powerful scene, and I want to just describe it for you as best as I can. Saru is all grown up. He's talking with his adopted mother, Sue, and this is the conversation that happens. Saru says, I'm sorry that you couldn't have your own kids. And Sue, his mother, says, what are you saying? Saru says, we, we weren't like blank pages, were we? Like like your own children would have been. You weren't just adopting us, but you were adopting our past as well. And I feel like we're killing you. Sue, I could have had kids. Saru, what? Sue, we chose not to have kids. We wanted the two of you. That's what we wanted. We wanted the two of you in our lives. That's what we chose. That's one of the reasons I fell in love with your dad. Because we both felt as if the world has enough people in it. 
Having a child couldn't guarantee that it would make anything better. But to take a child that's suffering, like you boys were, and to give you a chance in the world, that's something. This is a deeply moving moment in the film, and and here's what amazes me. And please don't read into this. There's absolutely nothing wrong with, with having birth children. But what amazes me about this couple, John and Sue Briarly, is they saw a world full of hurting and broken children, and their first thought, their first thought was, how can we be a part of their redemption? Even if it meant a huge sacrifice, namely, forgoing the joy of having your own birth children. That's humbling. That's amazing. And that looks like Jesus to me. In fact, the Bible, the Bible uses this image, adoption, as a way to help us understand the character of God and as a result, the way that we should understand our own salvation. And so I want us to press into this image of adoption this morning and to see what God has to share with us. I'll be preaching from the epistle to the Romans, chapter 8, and I'm going to focus specifically on verses 14 to 17. Uh, Harry, if you're able to put those verses, beginning with verse 14, back up on the screen, I want to read those verses for you right now. If you have a Bible, let me encourage you to turn there as we go along. Romans chapter 8, verses 14 to 17. The Apostle Paul writes, For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons, by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. In our modern society, when we think of adoption, what we most often think about is legal adoption where a child without parents or without fit parents is accepted and cared for by adoptive parents or parent. This gives the adoptive parents legal rights to the child, and it gives the child legal rights to the parents. Well, the kind of adoption that Paul is referring to in this uh, Roman context is, is a bit different. Adoption in the Roman world, it was more, more about providing an heir for a family, than it was about providing for the needs of an orphan. Here's what I mean. If a man did not have an heir of his own, meaning a son, Roman law permitted him to adopt an heir. Sometimes, even the slaves were adopted in this way. Now, if that were the case, and a master took his slave and adopted him, then he would no longer be enslaved to the master, but he would become the master's son, and if a son, then an heir to the master's name. Now, this is the kind of adoption that Paul is referring to in this passage, and we can see it right there where Paul is talking about both slavery and adoption, and that's the image. 
We as people, slaves to sin and unrighteousness, have been adopted by God and made his children, and if children, then heirs. Now, despite the differences between Roman adoption and our current understanding of adoption nowadays, I want to just draw upon some common things because there are some commonalities. Last Sunday, I mentioned how when I was eight years old, my parents adopted my younger brother, Jordan, who was three at the time. Now, I actually have three adopted siblings. My oldest brother and I are birth parents, but my older sister, my younger brother, and my younger sister are all adopted children. So here's my question for you. Who has more of a right to be the child of my parents, me or my younger brother, Jordan? Neither. Neither has more of a right. You see, we are equally the sons of Carl and Debbie Smith. It's just that my rights came by birth and Jordan's came by adoption. Jordan's parents were not fit to care for him and and fundamentally that made him an orphan. God saw fit to use the love and the sacrifice of my parents to make my brother their son. And here's what I honestly believe. I honestly believe with every bit of my being that God saved my brother through adoption. His life while still full of extremely difficult circumstances, given his own needs and difficulties due to the abuse he suffered, has been unequivocally better than it would have been. And even more so, by being welcomed into a Christian family, guess what he had the opportunity to do? To accept Christ as his Savior. And so now he's also a son of God the Father. You see, in more ways than one, God saved my brother through adoption. That's true of my sisters as well. Now, the experience of a child that's been adopted is one that most of us can't understand. I don't know what it it feels like to, to, to know that your birth parents couldn't care for you or wouldn't. I don't know what it feels like to be born with one family name and to now have another to maybe not even know where you came from. Except although now we've got 23andMe and things like those, right? So if you really wanted to know, you could find out. Here's the thing. Although we can't fully understand the experience of adopted children, if we are Christians, here's what we must realize. Our identity is actually caught up, caught up in adoption too. You see, God saves us through adoption too. If we are children of God, I promise you, it's not by birth. It's by adoption. It's essential that we understand ourselves in this way and that it take deep root in our souls and the way we understand ourselves because when it does that, then it's going to impact the way that we live our lives and the way that we encounter the people in it. If there's a big idea for this sermon today, here it is, okay? Here it is if you walk away with nothing else. Because we are adopted by God, we are called to become adoptive for God. Because we are adopted by God, we are called to become adoptive for God. So to begin with, let's let's ask this question. Why do we need to be adopted by God in the first place? We often talk about humanity as the children of God, and yet that's not fully 
the biblical picture. You see, at one time or another, you were not actually God's son or daughter. Here's what the Bible teaches. Although God created human beings in his image and he made them very good, through our sin, what we did was disown God. We disowned him as our father and we gave up our rights as his children. We can think of some examples of people who did just that in the scriptures. God's word teaches us that from your very conception, you were an orphan, a spiritual orphan. If you could claim any parents for yourself, the parents would have been sin and death, whose marriage was officiated by Satan in order to produce children who were spiritually destitute, diseased, and depraved. And as a child of sin, you looked like sin, and you sounded like sin, and you acted like sin. And as a child of death, your body was on a journey of deterioration from the moment you were born until you finally decayed into dust. And as a child of both sin and death, you were destined to face eternal separation from God, who was your father. That's the bad news. It's the bad news that makes sense of the good news. So what's the good news? The good news is that our good and loving God, in, in spite of our prodigalness, in spite of our fits of rebellion, he saw our orphaned state and his first thought was to bring about our redemption, even if it meant making a huge sacrifice. See, being adopted as a son or daughter of God, it doesn't maybe seem like such a big deal until you realize how little you deserve to be one and how much God sacrificed to make you one because it cost God his own true son. That's the price. Think about this. Christ Jesus became a human being in order to, to perfectly fulfill what it meant to be a child of God because we couldn't. And then Jesus gave himself up to be sacrificed on the cross in order to pay our adoption expenses and to sign the paperwork with his blood. And after Jesus was resurrected and after he ascended to the, into heaven, he sent the Holy Spirit and he sent the Spirit to be inside of his new children. And this is what Paul references here in Romans. The Spirit is the Spirit of adoption that we have received. So if you have God's Spirit in you, you are no longer an orphan. You're a child of God. Now in this passage, Paul talks about a number of characteristics of adopted children, what it means to be children of God the Father. And so I want to just unpack those for just a few minutes. This is what Paul says first. He says, first of all, adopted people recognize their need for adoption. They recognize their need for adoption. See, it's not a secret to orphans that they're orphans, right? They know it with every fiber of their being. If we want to be adopted by God, then we have to first understand and believe that apart from God's grace, that is what we are, orphans. You can't be saved without acknowledging your need of salvation. 
But when you trust in nothing else except Jesus to redeem you, then it is as the scriptures say. The apostle John writes, to all who believed in Jesus' name, he gave the right to become children of God. Only those who are orphaned know how much they need to be adopted. And only those who trust Christ can be adopted. Second, Paul says, adopted people are led by the Spirit and not by fear. So if God's Spirit is in you, what Paul is saying, the adoption papers, they've been signed and sealed and delivered, and yes, you're his, right? No matter what your birth parents were like, no matter what spiritual genes you inherited, no matter how undeserving you were, you aren't those things anymore. As a result, Paul says in verse 15, you don't have to live in fear anymore. It's as we sing here at Living Faith and we'll sing later today, I'm no longer a slave to fear. I'm a child of God. Are there any Mr. Roger fans out there? Any of you? It's okay. It's okay if you still watch. I watched as a child. Uh, nowadays, Daniel Tiger's Neighborhood is what the Fred Rogers Corporation has uh, replaced that old TV show with. But in one of the episodes of Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood, Fred Rogers, he talks to the children who are watching, and you can probably picture this. And here's what he says. He says, sometimes adopted children may feel fearful and insecure because they wonder, how bad do I have to be before my new parents will give me away too? So he says there's something that adopted children need to know about adoption. Adoption is for always. Adoption is for always. God's not going anywhere. Neither are you. Adoption is for always. And therefore, if you've been adopted, no more do you need to live in fear. Instead, we are led by the Spirit of God who is in us, and is making us into more and more of the children that we are. Third, Paul says that adopted people actually call on God as Father. They actually call on God as Father. Now, that may not sound all that magnificent to us or out of the ordinary. I promise there is no religion in the world that believes something that ridiculous. That we, human beings, can call God, God Almighty, Father. Paul says in verses 15 to 16 that if you have the Holy Spirit, then that Spirit cries out within you, Abba, Father. And this Aramaic word, Abba, it, for Father, it, it communicates a certain closeness of relationship. It's not just like you, you're on paper a child. You actually know your father. And sometimes it's, it's kind of popular nowadays to translate this daddy. Now, I don't think that actually works, and here's why. Timothy George, the former dean of Beeson Divinity School, says, the word Abba, it's not about infancy. It's about intimacy. It's about intimacy. We see Jesus, a grown man, use this word, Abba, as he prays in the Garden of Gethsemane, 
And Jesus is not crying out as an infant. He's crying out as a son who knows his father so deeply. And because of Jesus, we too call God Almighty Father, Dad. That's incredible. It's incredible. The fourth thing Paul says is that adopted people are heirs. Heirs. Now, in modern society, we've kind of lost the import of that. Now, we still inherit things. But what it meant to be an heir is somewhat lost on us. Now, as I alluded earlier about this passage, in the ancient world, it was the firstborn son who was going to be the heir to the family name and thus to the family fortune or misfortune, whatever might have come. If there were other sons, they wouldn't get anything. Sorry, ladies, the daughters didn't get anything either. And so what Paul is saying here in verse 17 is something incredibly radical. He's saying this, all who have the Spirit are children, and if children, then heirs. And what does that mean? All children. All children. Firstborn and not firstborn. Sons and daughters. All those who are adopted by God become His children as if they were the firstborn son. Who's the firstborn son? Jesus Christ the righteous. Jesus Christ the righteous. And this is what Paul gets at in another epistle he writes in Galatians chapter 3, verses 28 to 29, when he says, There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is no male or female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you are Christ's, then you are Abraham's offspring and heirs according to the promise. All of you. All of you. Here's the final thing that Paul says about adopted children. He says, adopted people suffer with Jesus. Personally, I would have been okay if Paul left this second part of verse 17 off. I didn't really feel like I needed that. Paul didn't leave it off. And so what's he getting at? Why would he suggest uh, that suffering is a part of what it means to be an adopted child? Well, I want us to just consider for a moment uh, what the purpose of adoption is. What is God adopting us for? Now, God's not adopting us so that we will suffer as if that's the plan He has for our life. But God's adopting us so that we will become like Him. And what do we know about God in the person of Jesus Christ? Christ was willing to suffer for the good of the world. Most of you have met my dad, Father Carl, who served here at Living Faith in 2019. For so much of my life, I've heard things like, wow, you guys look just alike. Or, oh, now we know where, where you get your good looks from. I, I, I'm blushing. I'm blushing. And here's the thing about looking like God. It's not like a physical resemblance. Instead, we begin to act more and more like God. We care about the things that God cares about. We live the kind of life that Jesus lives, and in that way, we take on God's resemblance. 
the kind of life that Jesus lived was not really a pretty one. It wasn't all that desirable by American standards. He was a man of sorrow, acquainted with grief. And so is God telling us his goal for us is to be depressed and mopey? Was Jesus depressed and mopey? No. See, suffering and sorrow, it doesn't mean you're depressed and mopey. But it is a part of looking like God. Jesus suffered. He suffered for you. He suffered for me. He suffered for the whole world in order that we might become adopted children. It cost him everything. If it costs him everything, brothers and sisters, I, I'm foolish, and so are you, to think that it's not going to cost me anything. It's not the gospel. Here's the thing. People who are adopted by God, by God's love, they become people who live adoptive lives through God's love. And adoptive lives sometimes require suffering. So often in the Christian life, we talk about receiving from God in order to give to others. We talk about this when it comes to blessing or forgiveness, so many things. Well, it's a similar dynamic here. We receive adoption from God, and thus we should be adoptive in our love to others. Now, what does that mean? What does that mean that we would be adoptive in our love? Here's what I think it means. On a really broad level, being adoptive means that you are able to see people around you that have a need. And then you realize that you have something that will meet their need. And then you meet their need. You see someone around you who has a need. And then you realize that God has given you something that will fulfill that need. And then you fulfill that need. That's what being adoptive looks like. You realize that, that God has loved you and saved you and cared for you and fed you and included you and sheltered you, and protected you, and nurtured you. And when you look out there and you see people who don't have that, then you love them, and you save them, and you care for them, and you feed them, and you include them, and you shelter them, and you protect them, and you nurture them. That's being adoptive. Let me give you some examples of this. There are spiritual orphans all over this city who need to know the message of the love of God the Father. Could you use what God has given you to fulfill that need? There are physical orphans, kids without any parents to love them, who need the love of a family. Now I know this is a big one. It's the big one. And yet it'd be impossible for me to to not go there when we read a passage such as this. I believe that adoption is one of the most significant ways we have as Christians to image the gospel. Why? It's right here in God's Word. It's right here. 
And so if anyone in the world, brothers and sisters, and don't hear this as condemnatory, I mean this to, to, to exhort us. If anyone in the world should be adopting children, it's us. We know what it's like to be adopted. And we know that the gospel is demonstrated through this thing. There are 100,000 children eligible for adoption in the U.S. There are 15 million in the world. Could you use what God has given you to fulfill that need? There are 14,000 children in foster care in Arizona. There are hundreds of thousands of children around the world who have parents, but they just don't have the money for health, food, and education, and they need someone to sponsor them through compassion or world vision. Could you use what God has given you to fulfill that need? There are parents right here in our community who have adopted children, and that's not an easy life. And they need people to support them. Sometimes it can be a hard, hard road. We need people in the church to look at foster and adopted families and say, we want you here. We want to walk with you. We want to care for you as you care for them. Could you use what God has given you to fulfill that need? There are single mothers who are considering abortion because they don't know how to provide for their baby and they need people to support them by paying the bills and caring for them as one of their children. There are people in assisted living and nursing homes who feel forgotten and alone and they need people to talk to, to visit with through a window. There are immigrants and refugees to this country who need adoptive people to help them learn English and to find jobs and to just feel comfortable in this strange place. There are single people who find it very hard to be in churches where it seems like everyone else is married with a family and they need people to invite them to be a meaningful part of their family. We sang about earlier, God, you put the lonelies in families. He does it through us. There are celibate gay Christians who want to obey Jesus, but they've been ostracized by the church, and they need people who will support them as they seek to follow Christ in the sacrifice. There are low-income schools and neighborhoods that are caught in cycles of poverty. There are people in jail and prison who have no one calling them. Could you use what God has given you to fulfill those needs? Now, here's what I want, here's what I want from me and from you. I, I just want you to walk away not feeling condemned and not feeling like you have to go out and do more. That's not the point. Here's what I want you to walk away from the sermon with. Is there one of these things that you can say with God's help, I want to be about that. Just one. With God's help, I want to be about that. Now, so many of you are already doing this. And I want to say to you, thanks be to God. Keep it up. Don't stop now. Keep living out the adoptive love of God, even if it's hard. 
Because Paul promises us that those who suffer with Christ will also be glorified with him. As we see people suffering, so we open up our arms of love to them, as Jesus did on the hardwood of the cross, so that all might come within the reach of his saving embrace. As Saru's mother said, that's something. That's something which is a powerful witness to the gospel of Jesus Christ. Amen? Amen. Amen.